Welcome to the Work Research Revolution. I'm your host, Cara DeLunger. In this podcast, I speak to doctors, scientists, professors, and business leaders who are at the leading edge of this work research revolution and radically changing the way we work. We will be harnessing their collective insight so that we can create the catalyst that drives much needed change in the future of work around the world. Work Reset Revolution is brought to you by Softer Success. Visit www.softersuccess.com to learn how you can revolutionize your well-being plan and help eradicate burnout in your organization. So let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Work Reset Revolution. And today I'm speaking to Angela Loder, who is Vice President Research at the International Wellbuilding Institute. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here. It's really great to have you join us today. And as a first question, I'd actually like to ask you, in your view, what are the biggest crises affecting modern workplaces at the moment? Well, I think the biggest issue that we're seeing is a huge disconnect between the whole person and the way that work is set up. And the reason this has occurred is because the modern workplace is set up in a few fallacies. The first is that the built environment really doesn't impact your work. And of course, we've all heard about the Hawthorne study, the infamous Hawthorne study that, you know, kept adjusting the light levels for people and said, oh, look, their productivity levels are exactly the same. Of course, they are terrified of losing their jobs. But this has led to a host of buildings which are mediocre, poor ventilation, no daylight, poorly set up, poorly adapted. We would never choose to live in buildings like that if we had choices. And this is really um, come front and center with people not wanting to go back to those types of workplaces. The second fallacy and the second sort of illusion is that knowledge work works the same as physical labor. So when we had the industrial revolution, you know, people were moving out of the cottage industry, off of the farms, and they're suddenly viewed as this productive unit, right? They are merely valued as a productive unit. And this has been criticized by some great economists. And this was, you know, emphasized post-World War II, when you had almost always the male breadwinner leaving the enclave of the family to go and work. And the assumption, of course, was that there was somebody at home taking care of business, right? Keeping the home fires burning. That is no longer the case. And we're seeing what COVID has brought forward is that there were always tensions there. You know, most families have two income earners. And it's not that particularly, say, caregivers were killing it before COVID happened, especially in countries with very little to, if any, support for working parents. But COVID really brought that to the forefront. So people were no longer able to pretend even if they were thought it was unprofessional, that they have responsibilities at home, whether elder care, child care, other types of responsibilities. And we're seeing that people are just really fed up and frustrated with not being seen as a whole person, not being able to bring their whole self to work and merely viewed as how much can I get out of you? I'm merely an economic unit. And the knowledge work, of course, doesn't work the same way, as I mentioned, as the physical labor. So physical labor, you co-work, you finish it, and then you're done. Or in the case of farming, there's a seasonality to it, right? You have really busy periods, and then you have periods of rest and recover. The assumption, the way we set up our workplace, continuing this, you know, workers are productive unit, is that really the, the knowledge workers should work the same. So we haven't built in 
rest and recovery. We assume that like a factory, you put effort times effort, you know, multiplied by times equals output. And that's just not the way that knowledge works, especially for things if you want innovation and creativity. I remember asking a supervisor once when I was doing my doctorate, you know, how much writing can you get done in a day? And the answer always struck with me saying, well, I can do, you know, full three or four pages in one day, and then I'm done for four days later. Really, it's about four hours of writing, like intensive writing. And I think understanding that people might need breaks, they might need rest and recovery periods, that looking out of a window and watching nature actually can be more productive for them, even though it's seen as lazy by management, even though it's seen as daydreaming, actually helps that sort of unconscious brain creatively problem solve, come up with ideas. And we just haven't built that into our workplace. And with the massive burnout and the great resignation happening with COVID-19, we're seeing that a lot of these pressures that have been there already have really just exploded. And people are no longer willing to work for places that view them only as an economic unit and aren't willing willing to take into account their needs as a worker. They're not willing to put up with abusive, terrible work organizations and structures. And they really can't manage when their people are saying, why won't they come back to the office? A lot of the question is because they just can't fit another two hours into their day. And they finally figured out a way to be able to throw a load of laundry on between meetings or to take a walking meeting and finally get that exercise they've needed. Absolutely true, aren't they? We are humans. We are not robots. And we do need that time for creative rest and creative space. And I guess with coming up of, you know, the technology, which is great, our brain, you know, has the same capacity for reading emails and social media as it does for any other work that we're doing. So it's about making those choices. And sometimes when there's so many deadlines on it, it's hard for people. I love what you touched on first of all, though, which is, you know, I mean, my vision for future workspaces, and you guys are already doing that at well, is, you know, places of, you know, fresh air coming through, you know, natural light, you know, the right water. You know, we all talk about those water cooler chats, but I think actually <laughs> the water cooler, you know, is not always the best water to get. So, you know, alkaline water and places that are community open spaces for people to actually collaborate. And I really believe that that is the future, not where we need to bring 10 cups of coffee into the office because there's been already a stressful journey to get there. And then they've got a big long day ahead, but more people are looking forward to getting there, to talking, to collaborating with their colleagues in a space that they feel really peaceful and balanced in. And so I totally agree on on that one. And also on bringing your whole self to work, right? I see it myself, our neighbours have just, they're building their own office in their back garden. So we're seeing a lot more of that as well. But, you know, everybody changing and doing this homeworking for the last couple of years, I think it's been so lovely to see real things happening, you know, like dogs popping in and (laughs) children, you know, because it's real life, isn't it? You know, and we're not robots and we are humans and our deadlines should allow for those human things that happen in our lives. There's space for that, right? So thank you so much. And so what do you think would help in tackling these crisis? And I'd love to hear a little bit more about well-certified and the work that you guys are doing at the moment. Absolutely. Yes. And completely agree that it's lovely to see, you know, puppies and children and other things popping in. That's just people's real lives. A quick anecdote. I remember reading a story about, I think it's Patagonia, a company that was really trying to view 
caregivers as not an, a liability, but actually an asset. And that how do you reframe your thinking if you're going to view that way? And so they started having on-site daycare for after school. They would provide child caregivers if the parent had to travel. And because the co-workers started to understand and meet each other's families, they said it created this idea of, you know, Joe might be a jerk today, but his daughter is so cute. And I know he's having a tough time at home. I'm going to give him a free pass. The comment said it really made a community and it made people much more three-dimensional, which in fact is the way that we're wired, right? We're wired to work in small communities. We're wired to have this multi-dimensional identity. A lot of the social constructionists and research talk about the fact that we're not just a daughter or a mother or a worker or a sister, right? We have multiple identities, sometimes conflicting, and that when we're able to show up with all of those identities as our true self is when we can really be at peace and rest and have our most clear thinking. So for the work at IWBI that I do, we've been doing this for a while. In fact, when COVID hit, we kept getting calls saying, what are we supposed to do about this? Please help. So we rapidly created, and I helped you know, lead some of that, the research on that effort, guidelines for COVID-19 really focused on sort of emergency preparation measures you could do right now to help make your building safe. And most of those were risk management measures, you know, better ventilation, improved air quality, emergency preparedness features and things like that. And that's been very, very popular worldwide. I would say that in terms of helping to tackle the better working environment, one of the biggest things we see, of course, is the physical environment. So lighting designers have told us they're delighted that finally they get to talk about circadian lighting and the importance of daylight, not just do you have enough lighting to do your tasks. You know, we have biophilic features, which are perennially popular, but also we have organizational features in the features, in the, like our mind feature about do you have spaces for rest and respite? Do you have good water quality? Do you have spaces for focus and for collaboration? So the Well Building Center is a great place to start in terms of trying to understand that the design decisions that you make have health impacts. And I think for a long time, that has been silent, saying, well, it doesn't really matter. I haven't really thought through, same as with urban planning. I didn't really think through what it would do to the city to have six lane highways on walkability and safety for pedestrians, right? I didn't think that through. But they're starting to have that conversation and same with the building scale. What are the impacts on health and well-being if you make these design decisions and these maintenance and operations decisions. So that's a great framework for people to start with. I would say one of the biggest things we see is that when people are interested in doing that, they're still sometimes in that mindset of how do I get more out of my people? How do I make them more productive? And of course, that's not quite the right question to ask because the flip side of productivity can be burnout. You can be very, very productive right until the moment that you burn out. So we've been working on the 12 competencies for measuring health and well-being for human and social capital, which we did a soft release of at NASDAQ back in February. And what we've seen, and we co-developed those with our research advisors and with our survey providers, and what we saw is that if you want to look at something like performance, you can't do that in isolation. And I think this is one of the biggest messages we're seeing for organizations that They're making these beautiful buildings, but they're still not figuring out the organizational side and the relationship between those two. So if you're going to look at performance, we know how to do that, right? Are you effective? Can you do the task well? But in fact, employee effectiveness is directly impacted if you use something like the job demand resources model by your motivation and by your energy. And your performance motivation is, in fact, influenced by your work culture and the structure and your relationships. You have a good relationship with your boss. So you need to take those into account. 
your performance energy is influenced by your thriving, your well-being. Do you have enough energy to be able to come to work? So I think what we're seeing, we're trying to get organizations to come along on the journey with us is don't pick and choose and have this isolated, I'll give you an app for meditation, or I've got a gym pass here, but really taking a more systematic, holistic approach to health and well-being and understanding how performance and health are interrelated. What's the impact of the built environment? What's the impact of the community level, community scale and connection? What's your environmental impact? How does that connect? And the framework is really meant to help organizations understand First of all, how to do that and give them sample metrics to be able to do that. But mostly also it's an education tool that this is the way that you can help measure this, take a much more holistic systemic approach. And this is important because if you're working from home, you still need to have a good work culture to be able to make people feel connected and want to come back to the office. Absolutely. And that's so important, isn't it? I mean, I know we've been talking recently about your 12 competencies and how important it is to have that holistic approach. And, you know, with our psychometric test, our, you know, burnout risk assessment, again, you know, there's so much talk about burnout and but there has been no way to diagnose it and to identify that risk. And that's where we've gone with our, you know, risk assessment, because other organizations won't be able to change otherwise unless they have that and that fits in sort of with your 12 competencies and I love how you also touch on kind of the bigger piece for people you know this is just purpose and meaning and the environment because we've talked about this before how you know my vision again is if we don't have healthy people or healthy buildings healthy business there's not going to be any headspace for people to look after the environment, right? So our climatic changes that are happening and taking the action to help with that, those are sort of linked together, aren't they? And at Weld, you focus quite a bit on, you know, sustainability and environmental change. Would you like to talk to me a little bit about that? Yes, in fact, yeah. most of our executive came from the US Green Building Council. So we are a bunch of greenies, <laughs> died and true. In fact, we have a crosswalk with a lot of other certification systems for green building like Briam and Green Star and LEED. We have got a beta credit on reporting and what we're seeing a lot of our bigger clients and, and projects, they're already reporting on environmental metrics and they see that as somewhat separate from doing something like healthy buildings and they don't really know how to connect the two. And so our 12 competencies are really trying to help them when they're doing this reporting here are ways to connect this. Here are ways to make this possible. I love your comment about not having the energy and the time to care about larger things that are kind of abstract when you're burnt out, right? And that goes for a lot of different things. And I think this creating an environment of care, this kind of new social contract, we did a thriving webcast recently and one of the survey providers said, there's a new social contract with employers, employees to let them come bring their whole self to work and trust that you'll get the work done. And that gives space. We know that when people have more time off, this is being studied extensively in Europe, they have more time off, they have more energy to give to community, they have more energy to give to volunteering and to causes they care about, which we know has health benefits for them, and social and mental benefits for them, as well as for those communities and the environment. Absolutely. So do you have any other ideas on what a work reset revolution would look like? What would that look like to you? Well, I love your work about the softer success. I think a, a key point to think about, in addition to everything I've said before, is in the West, we really push through 
what was being termed a masculine energy. And of course, men and women have both, right? But what has been prioritized is the way you get things done is just push straight through and just keep pushing and there's no rest and you just go straight forward. Now, sometimes that's what you have to do. But that, I think, has been leading to a lot of burnout. And I think a more humane way to do this is to explore what an alternative is in some instances. What does that feminine energy look like? For example, saying, okay, this isn't working right now. I'm hitting up against a wall. I'm exhausted. Take a short break. Go for a walk. Get some creative thinking. Is there a different angle I can do? Is there a way to do the same work without pushing so hard and pushing through? This works with relationships with colleagues and difficult clients. This works with trying to get difficult problem solving done. I think allowing that space for rest and recovery is really important. I'd like to see some seasonality put through in our work life in that I think Europe does a little better job than the U.S. does on this and having paid vacation that you can actually take. Most Americans can't take even two weeks straight together. That's just not an option. And that's not very much time to be able to reset. So some companies are flirting with giving paid sabbaticals after a certain amount of time, allowing time off to be able to really reset, even saying, if you get your work done, you don't have to physically be in the office that entire time, you know, take a moment to take a walk and take a break. We know you're going to come back refreshed and it'll be good for the organization as a whole. I think those are some of the biggest things I'd like to see as well as taking seriously the quality of the building. There's been some surveys recently that have said that people's number one desire for the office are not breakfast amenities or snacks in the break room, but daylight. We are animals and we respond very well to daylight on multiple different levels. I think there's some of our survey providers have found, in fact, that barring at home factors, like whether you have an office that has a door that shuts and a dedicated space, the biggest factor for whether people want to go back to the office, which is a big deal for organizations that have invested a lot in those physical offices is the quality of the office. Does it accomplish the things? Does it let you do the work you need to do? And that includes both collaboration and focus work. Focus work is a huge problem in open plan offices with a lot of noise. That's been the biggest complaint. And is it appealing? It doesn't have to be like a Google type office, but fresh air, sunlight, spaces for breaks, plants everywhere. We are creatures that, you know, respond very well to a pleasant environment. And then people will want to go back to the office. They'll be excited to go back to the office and have that collaboration and that connection. So having some seasonality, spots for rest and recovery, this environment of care and better quality workplaces, I think my top ideas for the future. Fantastic. And, you know, achieving more, but with less effort. So, you know, we're needing to unlearn some of these unhealthy habits that we have learned and built up over so many years. That's really hard for a lot of people, right? So why don't we push on? And I speak also from my own experience, because you spoke earlier about circadian rhythms. So we have our ultradian rhythms and our circadian rhythms. So our trading rhythms are the rhythms that we have during the day, actually, that a lot of people don't know about. Because we have our basic rest and activity cycle at night, which is our 90-minute sleep cycle. But we have something similar during the day. And after sort of about 90 minutes is that moment when the body naturally will say, I need a break, because our brain will go and have need a bit of a rest. And that's that moment that we'll want to go and grab a coffee or a sugary snack or for a lot of people to power on on adrenaline. (laughs) And that's the warning sign. So I think that moment of listening a little bit better to our bodies, what they're telling us, really just asking ourselves, what do I need right now? You know, and I experienced that myself as well. I often just kind of 
wriggle my toes when at my desk and just wriggle my toes and go, right, okay, what is it? You know, what do I just need to do now? Do I just need to walk away from my desk? Do I need to take a moment to breathe? So do I actually need to stop completely the rest of the day. Now, not everybody has that opportunity, right? But maybe I need to stop a little bit earlier and say, well, I'm not going to get that much out of my brain today. (laughs) So I'm leaving it some creative rest and some space to make sure that, you know, the next moment, the next day, I will have that. So you're 100% right. And I think that's all part of this work reset revolution that we're going through is We're unlearning unhealthy habits that we've built up over time. And I just can't wait to see more offices with that wonderful, you know, natural light, the green plants, the fresh air. And I think it's the way to go forward. It's not natural to be in an office where there's, you know, synthetic light, you know, there's no greenery, there's no fresh air to breathe. And it doesn't work well for people, I think. So, uh, the fantastic work you're doing at Well. We're really excited to be also collaborating with you. And thank you so much for your time today, Angela. It's been lovely to chat with you. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. I could talk all day about these things. I just love it. And thanks so much for the great work you're doing as well. Really, really important. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Work Reset Revolution. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. As a next step, share this episode with anyone that you think may benefit. Follow us on LinkedIn at Softer Success for more inspiration to change the way we work and contact us at info at to find out more about our burnout assessment tool. If you have any feedback on how to improve, please do reach out to me as I'm always keen to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and we'll meet again on the next episode of Work Reset Revolution. Thank you.